arms you're in the safest place that you could ever be greet you today in the name of the lord y'all group one is that what y'all are going by group one now okay well the first is going to be last so in june y'all get kicked around you do know that right amen hopefully it won't be long we can all meet together and just as a family ought to be able to meet together trust you're doing well during this time god's keeping you by his grace we love you so much so appreciate you Let's read again today from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you would, verse 17. So enjoyed the service last night. Appreciate the things that the Lord placed on Brother Darrell's heart for us. We believe his ministry is still alive in the body today, don't we? Amen. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, not just in preachers, but in the body, every member of the body that has the Holy Ghost. Read with me and listen carefully as we read today. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing unto them their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Now listen to this verse, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin. For us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now, even though here in verse um, 21, the English word made shows up two times. It's actually two different Greek words that are used, but the translators chose to go with the word made. But let's look at the meaning of the second word made here, or second use of it, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Nomia, which is come to pass, become, be married to, or be preferred. Now the first word made there does not mean that. It means that you took something which you were not a part of, and you become something that was not you. But this one is, that he has made us the righteousness of God, come to pass, become, be married to, be preferred. You know why you're elect today? Because God chose you. Not because of your works, because you know, your eyes sing so pretty, my hair is so long. No. God chose you himself. You have a preferred spot. You know how it is. Um, you come up here to the parking lot. There's one spot near by the door, and it's reserved. All of y'all know who that's for, right? Amen. Right? 
Anybody got a problem with that? Well, if you do, keep it to yourself because we're not going to let you have it. So that means I get a preferential treatment. As a minister, whenever I go to the medical center or any of their facilities, I have a card. It's about this big, a placard type thing. has a number on it. And it means that I can go into clergy parking. I also have an ID card that I show at the med center, ballot, wherever I go. And I'm able to go into intensive care even when hours are not open because they recognize me as clergy, as a minister. So when I come in and say, sir, you can't go in. Oh, yes, sir. When would you like to go? Why? Because I'm preferred. Now, you walk in with me, they'll ask for your card. Well, if you don't have one, they won't let you go in. They won't let Carol go in. Why? Because Carol doesn't have it. So I'm preferred. I have a preferred status. As the bride of Christ, it was given to you, friends. You're not worthy. You don't deserve it. It was given. We get to park in certain places. We get to eat certain foods. We get to go to heaven before other people get to go. Because of His grace. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, truly, it overwhelms us when we think about it, Father. That your purpose might stand in election in Christ Jesus. You chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We are so grateful for that today, Father. Lord, we never want to abuse that position. But we always want to be grateful and thankful with a humble heart and a humble attitude, Lord. Dear God, we ask today that you would just open our hearts once again and speak to us your words. May your words live, Father. Dear God, I have my hand on this prayer clause that I'll preach with today. Lord, this neighbor of Sister Ruth Ann and Brother Matt Carter, her neighbor, this situation in her body, see what the doctors have told her. Lord, I pray that you just be merciful to her, God. In the name of Jesus, may the healing virtue just go to her, Lord. Father, I don't just pray for her today, but many others, Lord, that are sick and suffering. We think of Brother Louie, Lord, going this morning to have the MRI, and we've seen him. He, poor guy, can't hardly even get around. But yeah, Lord, he keeps pressing. We pray, Father, you'd be with our brother. Lord, if there's something medically that they can do, Lord, let them find what the problem is. We pray you'd be mindful, Lord. We're just receiving a text a few moments ago before coming out from Brother Robert Moreira, Lord, also having needs in his body. Many, many, Lord, that we know. Be mindful of us today, Lord, we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. I don't mind telling you that I've, uh, I've probably studied on the Godhead. It more than likely would be one of the two top subjects that I have studied on in my life as far as being a minister, especially since coming to the message for many decades now. Uh, the Godhead, election, predestination, sovereignty, all of that. Uh, 
But what I find so amazing is that you look at something and you think that you have a pretty good understanding because it's something that you do. It's something that you spend years of your life doing. And whenever I study a subject, I may take the word, say, election, and I'll go, I'll use every form of that word. Elect, elected, election. I'll take predestinate, predestinated, predestination, predestinations, every form of that word, and it may wind up being literally thousands of quotes and scriptures. And yet when God chooses, and it's totally His choice, to open up a little bit more light on something that you've looked at for so much. And when He does, it's like you sit there and you're looking and you are mesmerized. Because you think, I know I've read that. I know that I've quoted that. That is one of my all-time favorite quotes or my all-time favorite scriptures. And you realize that because we commit it to memory and because we study it and we look at it and we perceive it with an intellectual thought, it still doesn't mean that we fully understand it. Now, I hope this don't seem strange to you, but whenever I look at that and whenever I experience that, and I do experience it quite often, it also helps me to realize our view of the eternal himself. Now, maybe I'm a strange person to you all, and I, I know I'm different, but I, I, I'm curious, and I wonder about things, and I ponder about things. And I think, what in the world are we going to do for eternity? I mean, what are we going to talk about? Where are we going to go? How are we going to busy ourselves? I'm a busy type of person. You know, I'm a doer. I'm just not a thinker, but I'm a doer. And you think, well, what in the world are we going to do? And where will we go? And how will we occupy ourselves? And then you run across where the prophet said that it will take eternity for him to reveal himself to us. And then as we watch him while we're here in time, and he will allow us by his grace to see things, and then he just simply opens up a little bit more about the same thing, but more of it in a more clear way than you've ever understood before. And then you begin to understand, okay, now I see what we're going to be doing. We're going to be feasting on the revealing of this person that is so great and so wonderful that it will take eternity for his unveiling to ever come into view. Can you imagine a person? Now, we all get around people and my, they, they, they just know everything about everything and everybody about everybody. You can't already mention nobody that they don't know. And no matter what you mention, they can pick up on any subject and just talk about it. And some of them actually are true, and some of them are, of course, put on. But there's some of them that are actually that way. But no matter how long you'd be around them, eventually they would tell everything they know, and probably a lot they didn't. So it wouldn't take long. You know, I'm a simple sort of a guy, so you could be around me for just a little bit, and you'd find out 
all about me really that there is to know. I'm not very exciting. I'm not a very, you know, the people have asked me before, Brother Donnie, why don't you give your testimony? I said, there's really nothing to say. I mean, I really got a whole lot to say about, well, I've done this, or I've done that, or I've been here. I said, that's the main reason I ain't never done it. So you being around me, you'd find I'm not very exciting. I'm not very charismatic. There's not a lot to talk about. So it wouldn't take you very long from being around me, and you'd start getting kind of bored because there's not really that much to say. But, I mean, we've all been around people that, oh, my goodness, they are just so great, and they're so wonderful, at least in their own eyes. And uh, because every time you get around them, they've got to tell you about this, and they've been there, and they're going here, and they're doing this, and they're doing that. And uh, what I've found a lot of times, a lot of those people don't even realize how much they talk about themselves and how little they give you time to say anything. You know, you have to kind of stand a word sideways and slide it in upside down to even get anything in. Because they are so wonderful they're so magnanimous they're so great they're so terrific but it don't take me long being around a person like that to get fed up to about right here Uh, hallelujah but you know what God is not that way every book in the world could contain about him and be written only about the subject matter of the eternal every speaker Every orator, every professor in every university, every school teacher, every mother that teaches her children, every one of them, if they started tomorrow and they started having classes about the eternal, every professor would drop linguistics, he would drop biology, history, math, all these things, they would all start teaching about him. And he would allow us 10,000 years. When we got done, we still would have barely scratched the surface. So when I think of how great that he really is, then I have to reprocess in my mind greatness compared to humility and greatness compared to simplicity. Because we all tend as humans to think of great, and we can't help it, it's in our natural makeup to think of great and bigger and finer and more. And, you know, somebody gets a shiny car, well, we've got to get a more shiny car. And we've got to get a, they get a certain house, we've got to get a bigger one. And they get a pair of shoes that cost $100, we've got to get a pair that costs 110 because it's always something in us to outdo and, and stretch beyond and expand and go beyond. But God does not express himself in that way at all because there was no one bigger if we would say there was no one greater there was no one any higher no one could go beyond the limit of eternity because there had been no one there but, but him but yet he wanted to expand himself so how in the world are you ever going to do it there's only one way that it can be done and that is expand yourself downward Now, man does not like moving down. Man loves promotion. This is why it's so difficult whenever people get promoted on their jobs or even in the church or whatever it is. It's always easier to promote a person than it is to demote them. And there's something about our pride that takes promotion so much better than humility 
or demotion. That's why some people, when you get them in as an office, you might as well retire them because they'll be there till they don't even know their name. And they don't even know yours. But they cannot give it up because it's so ingrained in their nature. They cannot take. To them, it is such a demotion. That's why some preachers are in the pulpit today that should have retired 15, 20 years ago. They ain't got enough sense to even be there. Well, preach, Brother Donnie. Now, I know that's tricky stuff. I'm getting ready to turn 64 this year, so I'm going to preach my own self out before long. Ain't I? But it's the God's truth. But men look at it, and they cannot take that when you've completed your life and your journey, then you into the silence of your life of the crowning time. Y'all ever studied the Bible history and know that whenever the Bible fails and, and stops mentioning about the life of Abraham, that Abraham is still alive but his name is not mentioned yet he's still alive and now the light has changed from Abraham to Isaac and then whenever Jacob comes on the scene Isaac does not die for many many years he is still alive but the light has changed from Isaac to Jacob whenever Joseph come into the light Jacob did not die but Joseph is now the light of the hour and we realize if time goes on us ministers will fade off the scene if God lets me live eventually I'll become an old man and I won't be able to preach no more I don't remember what the Bible said I won't remember you more than likely I won't even remember me but you know what there'll be a time for me to sit down and listen is that right and that's part of the cycle of life and it's not really necessarily bad but there's something about that then as humans we tend to to look at that bad so anything that we feel like deteriorates or subsides or becomes less than what it really was at one time. We detest that because inevitably we look at ourselves and we think, well, our sight, we're losing that, losing our hair, losing our ability to our mental retention, and we hate all of that. So we, we just don't like, and then we think, you mean the eternal actually condescends from what he was to become so much less, and then in our minds it's like we have this shutdown to where we cannot be able to relate and think and determine and believe that that is actually the greatest of all of his miracles in our thinking it is when we graduate from high school and then we, we go to college and then we get this degree and that degree and for some it never ends they spend their entire life in school time they get out of school they, they're too old to do anything about it but they got all these degrees on the wall so they turn the office into a wallpaper place you know they got, they got all these degrees so they just keep on learning and keep on learning and more and more and more and it's a sign of achievement it's achieving it's achieving but you're talking about the sadness for the life of that individual when they can no longer achieve. Then theoretically, in theology, if it's a preacher, he can no longer get any more degrees and he's reached the element. I'm so glad my life is not made up that way. I'm so glad that no matter how far I go in God, there's always more. No matter how much you think you understand about grace and mercy and kindness and so on, there is so much more that we've never even broke into. But can you imagine then the eternal deciding before the world ever began because before there was ever a man, there was a plan. Before there's ever anybody ever lost, there was a cross in the mind of God. And God determining that one day he himself would become part of his creation. 
And yet it would be a step backward. It would be a step down. By which the eternal would step beyond what he was because he couldn't be anything greater than he was. But in order to become greater, he would come to the act of condescension. And condescension that man by its natural nature is not something that comes natural to man. But man, you know, man, man can be very cruel. And he will step on people. He will use people to climb to the top of the corporate ladder. They will do whatever is necessary. Some will sweep their way with others to the top. Some will lie upon others. Some will do whatever they've got to do in order. Oh, come on, don't sit down and look at me. You know, it's the truth because that is the rotten nature of man. But yet a real child of God does not look at success and being able to achieve things in life in the same way that another does. If you've got to lie to get it, it will not be worth it in the long run. If you've got to be dishonest, it will not be worth it in the long run. I'd rather have little and have it in honesty and integrity than have a whole lot and it be built on lies and falsehood. Well, praise the Lord. So God, in order to enter into this greatness of his expansion in the act of condescension, God must become the unthinkable. God must become what Satan would never relate to as greatness. Now Satan is the opposite of the spectrum how that he will lie, he will deceive, he will cheat. He will do whatever he has to do in order to become like God. He has no problem. Now let me show you how weird and how strange that he really is. Satan presents himself in this evil age under the auspices that what he's done, he's made himself a bride called a church and the church worships God and actually because it is a worship according to Mark 7 which is in vain, that worship does not go to the Lord Jesus. Now you're talking about a weird creature that people, many people today have gathered around the world and they have worshipped, they've called the name Jesus, they've talked about the cross, they've talked about the blood, they've talked about mercy and they've worshipped and they've worshipped and they've raised their hands and they've had their bands and their choirs and so on and yet that worship has actually been diverted over to the devil. Now you say, how could that be? Because Jesus said, how be it in vain they do they worship me. And the prophet said that millions and millions of people today are worshiping the devil through the church. And yet they're calling the name of Jesus and they're thinking they're worshiping Jesus. But because it's not through the word, God cannot receive it. But Satan does. So they're calling on the name of Jesus. It would be like you coming up to me after service today and saying, Brother Donnie, thank you so much for that service last night. I was so blessed by that service. And I'm looking at you thinking, have you not took your pill today? I did not preach last night. Don't, don't, don't comment me over it. Go to Brother Darrell. He's the one who labored and studied and, and put forth all of that effort. I don't want Brother Darrell's praise, right? I do not want you to thank me for the good painting work that Brother Darrell does because I am not a painter but Satan is so warped and so perverted that he will take praise and adoration and worship even though it's got the name of Jesus attached to it but God will not receive any such thing 
As a matter of fact, if it's not offered through the divine revelation of the word of the hour, the Lord God does not receive it. Is that right? So Satan, you can see, putting him on the other side, uh, on the dark side, that how that he would look at this act of condescension as being utter, complete nonsense. So he could not relate to it in, as we would say, his wildest imagination. That the eternal would condescend. Oh, sure, he heard the, the first messianic prophecy in Genesis 3.15. He heard the one in Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 9.6, Isaiah 35.3, Zechariah 6.12, Jeremiah 8. He heard Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 33. He heard those things. He heard Genesis 49.10 about Shiloh. But he, he could not relate to it. So whenever the Lord Jesus come on the earth, the disciples, they was trying to look at him and understand him. And the demons also kept trying to figure out you're the son of God oh we know you you're the son of God did they really or were they trying it remember the prophet said the devil did never did really believe it was him so they were fishing as we'd say they were trying to find out this surely this surely this could not be him could it by humbling himself and be a peasant the eternal create himself a body and wind up in the womb of a woman to condescend from what he was to become in the cell of a woman and uh, the, the blood and the egg come together by the creation of God and the eternal being found for a moment of time before the split began to take place in the cell and the eternal being there in that one cell in the womb of a woman. Satan cannot relate to such. And to be honest with you, this is why the theology and the Godhead is so important for us to understand it. Because he uses this same thing and merges his mixed up view into Christianity. And then he confuses people on whether there are two or whether there are three. And then if he can't get you that way, he'll try to get you this way that God is one like your finger. And Jesus could not be his own father. But as we've already said, it does not say that God could not be his own son. But this is something that the Jews could not understand. Yet the scripture says, kiss the son lest he be angry. Again he said, thou art, you know, thou give you a scepter into your hand. By the Lord said unto my Lord, I'll make your enemies to be your footstool. And yet they did not comprehend. They thought that the very Messiah, it would not be a projection or an attribute of his own nature. But they believed it would be him. They believed it would be God himself. But they perceived that it would be a mighty conqueror. And every age, whether well, it was the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, the Assyrians, the Persians, whatever more, whenever the children of Israel were sold in the bondage because of their sin, they looked for the Messiah. And of course, they looked for someone that would break the yoke of the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Chaldeans, the Persians, whoever it was. In the time of Jesus, they believed the Messiah would be a mighty general. He would be the son of David. So he would come and be a king. And he would do what? Break the bondage of the Romans, of course. Even the disciples. Lord, will you now restore to us the kingdom of Israel? And he said, this time is not for you to know. But they were looking not for a baby, but they were looking for a king. Because God told David, of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. But they had that coming mixed up wrong. That's the millennium coming of the son of David. 
But when God chose to reveal himself in the messianic appearance as Savior, it could not be king in a natural sense. It could not be conqueror in a natural sense. Now Jesus was a conqueror, but it was in the spiritual aspect, not when it comes to conquering kingdoms. So you can imagine that Satan and his demons in hell, when the Lord Jesus was here, they spent so much time trying to understand who he was because he seemed to have a split personality. He seemed to be part of the time from another world. And yet a great deal of the time he seemed to be of this world. He would eat natural food and drink natural water. And if, if he would fall and, and scuff his leg up against a rock. And no doubt the demons would stand off and watch. And blood would come out of Jesus' skin. Amen. And as a little boy, maybe Jesus fell. And maybe his mother would go and pick him up. And Jesus, like all the rest of our children, would scuff up an elbow or a knee. And blood would come out of his body. And Mary would run to him and pick him up. Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. That was his name in Greek or Aramaic. And he would cry as a little boy. And tears would come out of his eyes. They were not gold-lined tears. They were not silver crown tears. But they were bitter, salty tears as any other human would cry. And after his little boo-boos would say and shit, patch it up, brother devil, whatever they used in that day. And then maybe Jesus would begin to bruise. And around his little knee would be a, a blue spot or a black or whatever more. And on his arms when he would fall. And the demons would look at him and Satan himself come up and hang around that little hamlet, that little small place where they lived. Listen to the words that were said. I imagine at the age of 12, whenever the news went down into hell, that Mary and Joseph had taken him up to Jerusalem. Oh my. Whenever the, it was circulated in the regions of the lost, and Satan and his demons became curious because this little boy was found in the temple saying things that was much beyond his wisdom. As a matter of fact, the prophet said even when he said to his mother, Know ye not that I must be about my father's business? I do not believe Jesus knew what he was saying, he said. <laughs> when those words came out of his childish mouth. I didn't say that, that's a direct quote. Those words come out of his childish mouth. It must have been a very odd thing to try to raise such a curious child. That this child would speak divine and he would speak human. And you never knew which one was doing the talking. Whenever he was in the temple and expounding to the doctors of the law, it would have been very easy to have told, of course, this man just now is bar mitzvah, coming to the age of maturity, being able to allow now to go in and after this time into the synagogue and be able to take the, the scriptures and comment on them at the age of 12. You know, they would have known, my, this is something every Jewish boy did. But this Jewish boy was different. He began to speak things that was beyond his years. He began to speak things that was beyond his learning. 
And yet they had to know there was something there. And when Mary's brother Darrell spoke it last night and Joseph realized they'd left him three days behind him whenever they come back and go to searching him out. And they found where he was and Mary said, your father and I, well, what happened? You know, where were you? Your father and I. She marred her testimony of saying that he was supernaturally fathered by the Holy Ghost. And then he said, don't you know, wish you not, I must be about my father's business? You imagine if she looked at him as, as his mother and Joseph, his stepfather, thinking, what kind of curious child is this? Her mind, I can imagine, went back when he was dedicated of what Simeon said and what blind Anne had said. Could she understand it fully? Of course not. She didn't have the Holy Ghost. We've got it and still don't understand it fully. You can imagine raising this child in your home. Then having him as a teenager and watching Jesus go through teenage temptations. Yet at other times see him sneak away and pray like an adult. And come back with this aura about him that was divine and heavenly. To see him as a young man in his 20s. Whenever other young boys were doing this and wanting to be that. And their fathers of course would mold them to take their position. I just think in my mind that Joseph would tell Jesus along with Judas and James and the other brothers, Jude, that he would tell them, now look boys, you've you got to have a craft. You've got to have a, an ability to, to get by in life. No doubt Joseph was a, a good man. You, you've got you've to have this ability. You, you've got to do something. We're, we're in bondage, but if you can become, you know, something you can do with your hands, you'll always be free. We may be under Roman bondage or Syrian bondage or whatever more, but if you can be able to do something in life of what Adonai would want us to do, you're free. And you imagine as he would tell them, or Jesus, get the, get the planer there. Get, get, the, get the hand router and, and try to shake the wood. And maybe Jesus would take it up. No, 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 that's not right. That's not right. Don't you remember what I showed you? You're pressing down too hard, Jesus. Take, take the wood and work with the wood. Now you learn the hardness of the wood, Jesus, according to the, the, the way the wood is made. And here we are in the, the arid, dry land that our, our wood here, we don't have that many trees and that many different types of trees, but olive wood, one of the ones which they use, which is still used to this day, very beautiful, contrasting light with the dark. And no doubt Jesus took that olive wood and would shape and make different things out of it. And Joseph take it and said, no, that's not right. Give it to me. Let me show you how it's done. Imagine him rolling his little boy eyes up at him and saying, I can tell you how that tree was made. But I'll save it for another time. Now this is kenosis. You see, some preach Jesus being in the Godhead. That actually Jesus never existed pre-incarnation. Which means that Jesus never had a form. He never had a character. He never had a nature that existed before he became a human on the earth. Now this doctrine goes way, way back to Arianism. 
actually started in you know, 60s, 70s AD. They started discussing it. It gains more strength in the 90s. And then, of course, by 325 AD, the Catholic Church gets it and they divide them up into three. But sad to say, and I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it. Some of the theologians in this message have come up with some of the same false doctrine. And this is why they would stand in the pulpit and say, Jesus better be careful and watch himself. Lest God deal with him. Now you've got to be an absolute imbecile. Or you can't read. Or I don't know what else to even say about you. You ain't got no sense. You don't know if you're coming or going. To say that Jesus has got to watch himself. Jesus ain't got no angels. Where'd you get that out in the Bible? You might find that in a comic book. But you won't find that in God's holy word. And you won't find it on the message of the hour neither. So then you can see why with the restoration of the Godhead, what does Satan want to do? He wants to come back and attack the very message that has been restored. Now remember in the book of Acts when God started this church and how they had the word and they had, look friends, this is not on my notes, but I'm going this way. I'm going to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. We'll go back to this here momentarily. Whenever the Spirit of God started the church, he started them with the original baptism, the original belief of the Godhead, the original belief about man, the original belief of election, predestination, and Satan took that away from them. He actually robbed them of their great principles of truth. And in the church ages, those truths were lost. In the Reformation, God started reforming a little more and a little more and a little more. Up to Pentecost, and then God sends after Pentecost, Elijah. And what's Elijah going to do? Restore all things. But in order for Satan to come back now and really be able to have his full-fledged attack on the Omega Bride, It can only be after that Omega Bride has been fully restored. Then what will Satan do? Satan will be given the opportunity to attack the Omega Bride as he did the Alpha Bride. The Alpha Bride, correct water baptism, correct Godhead, correct serpent seed, correct all these things, right? And Satan come and attacked her. Amen. Then how is this Omega bride really going to prove that she's Omega? As Brother Dale so beautifully expressed it last night, it will be the bride that vindicates this message is the truth. We are the reason. Oh, God's supernatural has already done that. That's right. But the pillar of fire is not appearing now like it did then. It's going to be changed lives that will prove this message is true because it still lives on and the effect is manifesting itself to this day. There's not another message in all the earth that changes lives the way this one does. That's right. It's totally impossible because the light of God is here. So Satan will be granted the opportunity to be able to attack the Omega Bride after she's been fully restored. So once the Godhead comes back, the truth of it comes back, then Satan will be allowed to come right back amongst that Omega Bride with false teachers, false pastors, false prophets, false missionaries, and what 
will they do? They'll try to mess the bride's view up again about what the Godhead is really all about. Restoration of election and predestination was brought back by Malachi 4. I've proved it to you over and over again. Not only of Paul, but many of the ancient fathers that wrote in the 14th century, the 15th century, the 16th century that believe some of the same principles that was taught in the Bible. And what will Satan do? He'll bring in false preachers, false pastors, false teachers, and try to say, oh, that old election stuff is of the devil. No, it ain't of the devil. It's of God. But this Omega Bride, if you haven't been, you might as well get ready. You're going to be tried by the very same truths that were restored to you under the ministry of Elijah. And God will allow that to come among us to prove to the devil that we're not like Eve was. So the faith has been restored. The doctrines have been restored. Then Satan comes back and trying to use who? Denominational men? Of course not. He will try to use men that will actually isolate and put quotes together and make them sound like what they want them to say instead of making them sound like what the Bible says. God's prophet never spoke contrary to the scripture. So if you're following a doctrine that's based on quotes that is contrary to scripture, you are an error, my friend. Because the prophet of God never taught contrary to the Bible. If he did, I wouldn't be following this message today. And Happy Valley said... So is it unusual that we will be tried? Nope, it's not unusual at all. We will be tried everything that has been fully restored. We will be tried to see if we will maintain our ground. And let me tell the devil before the trial's ever even over. Devil, let me just go ahead and tell you, you're a loser, son. Because God's got a bride that'll come right out on the other side. You raise up questions about this doctrine, you won't shake the bride. Raise questions about this doctrine, won't shake the bride. Because the bride is the word. The word is not just something she reads and hears and memorizes. It's actually what she is. Oh, if it comes to pass before we leave this world, if they take our tapes, if they take our Bibles, you'll be hearing us. I'll go ahead and tell you that the Russian government has declared now that the message of Brother Branham and the books, uh, that they are very heretical, that they speak against priesthood and this and that and the other. Who knows exactly how it affect our brothers and sisters in Russia there but the high court has determined so now therefore it makes it against the law. Will they take the message from them? Who knows what it'll do. But let me say this. If the same law goes around the world and they take our church age book, our seal book if they retrieve every tape we've got all of our mp3s the bride will still keep on preaching the message because we have it committed not only to our memory but to our soul. If they come to a spot they shut our church down we'll meet in your basement and then in yours and then in yours we'll keep right on doing whatever we got to do till the Lord Jesus comes because he never restored this omega bride this omega bride is not promised to be sowed but she's promised to be raptured up hallelujah our promise is not a sowing but a combine from the presence of the almighty God Amen. So what will Satan do? He will do his very best to erode and eradicate, absolutely eradicate the restored truths that we've been living back into. So it's no strange thing that people years ago that believed in one God, now many of them same people believe in two. They believe in two lords and they're not bashful. They're not backward about it. Some of them that was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, well now they're baptized in the name of Brother Branham. They're baptized in the name of this, that, and other. Why? False preachers. False teachers 
liars, false prophets. Come on, Happy Valley. That's exactly right. But it is to be expected, and we're ready for it. <laughs> oh, Brother Donnie, ain't you going to run and hide? Run and hide? I'm not called to run and hide. I am called to resist the devil, and the devil better run and hide from me. Oh, praise the Lord. Submit yourself, therefore, unto the mighty hand of God. Amen. Submit yourself to the Lord God and His power. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And the church said... But watch, with all of that being said, now you can see why that Satan can never understand, never to this day, he does not understand the Godhead. He does not understand the being of God condescending. Oh, sure, he understands the theological standpoint of the blood, the supreme sacrifice. He understands the two goats, the two turtle doves. He understands what Psalm, uh, Psalm 65, I believe it is, whenever the title there, David prophetically, whenever he named that Psalm, the prophetic Psalm, Psalm 21, Psalm 22, and many of those prophetic Psalms. If you'll notice even the text in the writing or the heading of it. And the one that's so astounding because David called it the morning hind. What a peculiar way. What a peculiar thing to say in the Hebrew. Instead of saying to the sons of Asaph or this or that, he said the morning hind. What was the morning hind? It was the morning sacrifice. It was the wave offering that they offered in the morning. And the Lord Jesus was hanged upon the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning. So here is the morning hind and the mystery of his coming to the earth laid right there in the scripture in the very title of the book of Psalms waiting for the manifestation but Satan looked right at it and didn't understand it. He'll look right at me and you today and he'll offer all the things that he has in the world and offer to us and think they'll surely accept this. They'll take it. Yeah, they'll, they'll, give, they'll get rid of God. And we say no devil I don't want this and what in the world is the matter with them people? We got a touch of God at us. We got a touch of God at us. Amen. It cured us of our love for the things of the world. It cured us for our desire of pride and exaltation of man. It makes us want to be like the mighty God. So we look towards humility. We don't look toward crowning moments in time with man. But we look toward the great day when as the bride of Christ we will be crowned. Amen. The crowning of my mortality will be the changing of my body. Oh, praise God. My. Now, let's get to our first quote. Was that for you? What was that for you? Watch this in Hebrews. Brother said, now, God then became in another type of a tabernacle. And that tabernacle was who? Jesus. And God was inside Jesus. He was hid and he was reconciling the world to himself by his expression. You see, friends, I know this is so hard for us because as humans, if you take my spirit out of my body, I will not die immediately, but I would lose my mind. Now, you remember the girl that was in the insane institution and Brother Branham came to pray for her and he found her spirit out there roaming. But it left her in this state of insanity. Right, now, your body, for however long, can live in your spirit roaming. But once your soul goes, that's the end of you. So when we think of our spirit or our soul leaving our body, 
We're saying we, we can't be complete. And we're trying to measure the Godhead, God, in the same way. But God has and can and will and does divide his attributes and he has the ability to do so and it does not diminish him when he separates himself from himself. <laughs> now we can't do that. As I said, if your spirit goes, you won't even know who you are. That's what happens to a lot of people when they lose their mind. Now Brother Branham went out and found this girl's spirit and brought it back into her body and when the spirit returned, her sanity come back. So that shows us that a lot of who we are is identified in our human spirit. So you take one portion of us, we're made perfect in the human, human anatomy even, and the three, so you've got our soul, our spirit, and our body. And if you take one of them out of us, we're not complete. But God can divide himself and separate attributes out of his own being. They come directly from him. And it does not take away from him at all. He's as great as he was before. Amen. And when those expressions come out of his being and he will allow them to become manifest in another house, he's still as great as he was before he divided himself. Now don't let that stagger you because that's actually what you are here today. You was an attribute in his being before the world ever began. And he he brought you out of himself and letting you live today in this human body hallelujah and yet it did not take away from him it did not diminish him it only makes him greater so Jesus was the attribute of God's humanity and then God got inside of his own son Listen to this. He said, it's not me that doeth the works. It's my Father that dwelleth in me. I do nothing in myself but what I see the Father doing. The Father in me showing me these visions. And then I go do just what the Father told me to do. You get it? God was inside of a human body. Now remember, this is the beginning of the new race. God inside of human bodies. Friends, I don't want you to just see Jesus. I want you to see you. As I said, you're Wednesday night. God inside of Jesus. With the fullness of the Godhead body living in that body. But that spirit living in him did not stop him from having headaches. That spirit inside that human body never stopped that body from suffering sexual temptation now I've got the quote in front of me don't you see what God was doing he said look this is what I'm going to do for 2,000 years I am going to live in human beings and my presence in their body will not make their bodies deity neither would it eliminate all their humanity and all their weaknesses and all their troubles well, they're sicknesses. Praise God. Notice this. God inside of a human body, not behind goat skins. How many believe God could live behind an animal skin? In the tabernacle, in the tent? What if God could do that? Cannot he live inside of a skin that breathes? The difference between me and the badger is, I was just as mean as the badger was. You was just as rotten and low down as the badger was. But God in the Old Testament told them to take the badger's life. And then they'd take the badger and sew them together. Boy, you'd have a hard time sewing us together, wouldn't you? 
Oh yeah, take the badger. You couldn't do that. You imagine trying to catch a badger and sowing that badger while he's alive to another badger? Good luck. What do you want me to say at your funeral? But what do you do? You kill that badger and you take that animal nature out of that badger and then God would get behind. Amen. God would get behind the animal skin and the badger never said a word. Poke him with a needle, poke him with a thread, put him beside this badger he don't like. Them two badgers fought in life. They wrestled, they bit one another, they kicked one another, they stomped one another. But when the nature is gone, put them right together and they make a tent for the house of God. Let that old animal nature leave a man or a woman, boy or girl. Brother, I'll tell you one thing it'll make them do things they never thought they'd ever do. It turns them into a real Christian. But now God is living inside another skin. But unlike the badger, this skin will be allowed to have a human nature which will be different from the divine. So the human nature in the Garden of Gethsemane could say, If it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Don't you understand the whole purpose of all of this is to show by one example God can live in human beings to such a way that it will bring their flesh subject to the resident king. <laughs> inside of a human body not behind goat skins died but was a living moving God had hands God had feet God had tongue God had eyes and it was Christ brother Darrell said it so beautifully last night God still has hands God still has eyes I ain't just talking about mine I'm talking about yours if you got it. All over the world, God has hands. Now he went away and the Spirit come in that, that through his death, he might perfect the church and bring the church submissive. What? He's acting out. He's the head of the church. He's the husband. He's the Adam. So the Adam must have a human nature that can feel itself roll up against the will of God. Amen. He must have a human nature that will he can feel it within himself. He can feel the human part rile up, as we say, or raise up against the will of God. And then from within, he must conquer that. And if one can do it, God can give the others the same shot. And they'll be able to do the same thing. Now, God had an antidote, remember, for sin. And it was a toxin. And the toxin was death. God had to give that shot of death to a human body. And God had to take it himself. But you can't give a spirit a shot. Praise God. So God created himself a body and shot the toxin into the human body. And the human body screamed and cried and jerked and twitched with pain. But it was God in the form of humanity. And God gave Jesus the shot of the toxin of death. Praise be to God. That he could taste it for every man that would ever come on the earth that would accept it. It's yours if you want to. It's up to you. And by accepting that into his humanity, he eradicated the bond of slavery 
on our souls. And our bodies are soon to fall. Notice this. He said, and the same spirit that was in Christ is in the church doing the same things that Christ did. A little while in the world see me no more. Yet you shall maybe see me. I'll be with you even in you to the end of the world. Again, he said, now when he was here on earth, he was a perfect example of everything of the Godhead. He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ was God. The body of Jesus was only the tabernacle of God. It's where Almighty God Himself lived and dwelt in a human being. You believe that, don't you? You have to, to be saved. So friends, where does that put all these people that believe He was the second person of the Godhead then? You have to believe that. Notice again, He said, Christ had perfect faith in God. For Jesus is just the body and God was in him. Can anybody say amen or ouch or expectation? Now look, when Jesus went into his own country, many mighty works he could not do because of, the audience says, you imagine the Lord Jesus going into towns and couldn't hardly heal nobody? The Lord Jesus going into places to do His great works and He couldn't do it because of unbelief. I'm glad He experienced that. So it helped us preachers when we deal with it. So it would help you as laity whenever you try your best to help people and they go on and do what they're going to do anyhow. I'm convinced, friends, folks are going to do what they want to do. You can explain it to your blue in the face. You can explain it so much that they can quote it when you get ready to quote it. But the bottom line is, will they do it or not? They will if they want to. And if they don't want to, they ain't going to do it. Well, I'll tell you one thing, if they can be like that, then I reckon I can be the same way. If they can be what they want to be, I want to be what I want to be. You know what I want to be? A son of God. I want to be a word-living son of God that allows the deity of God to manifest itself in my life. Not just on Sunday, but every day out of the week. Now watch this, he was Jehovah God invested in a body of flesh. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. But he could not move until faith come. So here's Almighty God living in his boy, his son, his humanity, Jesus Jesus would walk in and see folks sick and maybe blind and halt and crippled. He wanted so bad for them to be healed. wonder how many had to walk by and leave them laying right there. Because he could not do it himself. <laughs> Why? He chose to live this way. This is the same being that spoke and trillions of stars come into existence. The same world that flung our earth out there and makes her hang on the balance, spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. Can you imagine? Spinning 1,000 miles an hour. How come we ain't all got vertigo this morning? How come we ain't all sick? You're spending 1,000 miles an hour out in the universe. Yeah. 
Tell me how the water, when the earth is tilted down, tell me how them oceans on the bottom of the earth don't fall off. Tell me how them people that are actually standing on the bottom of the earth and it looks out there on the top of the earth but they're actually on the bottom of the earth and they're standing upright like you and are. Tell me how they don't fall off. Tell me how they don't get so sick. Because our father flung it out there with all them laws. And yet he would go in a city once he kenosised himself and emptied himself out to be so weak and so small and so little. I wonder how many times Brother Darley left crying because he couldn't do nothing to help nobody because nobody believed him. I wonder how many times he's left Happy Valley sad because he wanted to heal you. He wanted to deliver you. He wanted to fix your marriage. He wanted to fix your finances or whatever more. But you wouldn't allow him. No matter how great he is, We've got to give him liberty to work in our lives. Oh my goodness. He could not move until faith come. Notice this in love and Shreveport. As we preached the other night on the dove and the lamb. And the dove abode in the lamb. He stayed there. He was Emmanuel. God was in his tabernacle. The son of God which was Jesus which was the flesh of God. A tabernacle that God dwelt in here on earth. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So if God dwells in a human, that makes it his tabernacle. I'm going to go ahead and say it. If God dwells in you today, whether you're virgin born or not, his claim of his presence in your body claims you are his house. But Brother Donnie, I'm not virgin born. Of course you're not. We don't need to be. If we needed to be virgin born to have a new birth, and God would have every one of his elect to be virgin born. He only needed one virgin born son. That after that virgin born son gave his life, his life would come back in the rest of us. Maybe we was born and there might have been your mama's third marriage or your daddy's fourth marriage or whatever more and was messed up genetically. But aren't you glad messed up marriages cannot reach down and tamper or influence that predestinated seed inside your soul. It has no effect on your spiritual DNA. God's presence in your body is what declares you to be His tabernacle. This piece of red oak right here this piece of white right here this piece of red oak right here this piece of walnut all this sheetrock carpet could have made a honky tonk right we didn't go to Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever more and say we want the sanctified sheetrock no drunks, nobody making tobacco, nobody cussing. We want the sanctified sheetrock. We want the sanctified block. We want the sanctified fake trees from China. No, but once we bring it here, it comes from the same place everybody else buys theirs at. But what is it that sanctifies and hallows this place? It ain't even you. Yeah. 
It ain't me. It ain't even our singing and our music. And it ain't even the preachers. It's His presence. And that sheetrock which could have made a bar. That sheetrock which could have made who knows whatever more. That organ. All my rock and roll groups love these Hammond organs. They could have sawed the cabinet off and took and made a rock and roll band out of it. But it ain't playing rock and roll. It's playing hallelujah. Something else that's rock and roll. Something about the rock and telling you your name is on the roll. But what is it that sanctified it? Amen. It's not Harry playing it. It's not our brother here playing it. Our brother Larry playing the piano. It's the presence of God. What if God can do that to a piece of sheetrock? Can't God do it to a human's mouth? Can't God do it to a human's head? Then God lives inside of your body. Then you lift up them hands at one time held cigarettes. At one time they held alcohol. At one time them hands looked at pornography. But not no more. Because the tabernacle of the Lord has become sanctified by his presence. And now the Bible said lift up holy hands to the Lord. How can they be holy? It is his presence that sanctifies it. That mouth said at one time sang country music or rock and roll or rap. Now it's sanctified. God is in his tabernacle. Notice the tabernacle that God dwelt in on earth. That was Christ. And God became united. That's the way God could be seen. No man has seen the Father at any time. But the only God and the Son declared Him. Jesus being the tabernacle that God was dwelling in here on earth. Jesus being the tabernacle. So what was He before it became Jesus? It was the attribute of the Logos which went out of the eternal. You see, in the beginning was the Word. That's when time began. You don't remember it, and I don't either, but when time began, and the, the, the eternal expressed these attributes of himself, and the Logos went out of him, you went out too. <laughs> Hallelujah. But he wasn't less God. He wouldn't last the eternal. Out of him went millions of attributes in the form expression of the word. In the beginning was the word. What was before the beginning? The eternal. But when it broke down into the element of time. Remember the prophet tells us that time is like a little hickey. Eternity is like a circle. And time is like a little hickey, he said, as my wife calls it. And he drawed the circle and he come down and said, that little hickey of time is that little lobe of it, a little loop on the bottom of the circle. But what is it? It's eternity too. But it's just a little diversion off of time. So here, as far as we know, element of time in humanity, 6,000 years. Well, it's just been a couple of days to God. Just about three days that man has been upon the earth and all of that. And what will he do? The streak of blood will come across on all of the entirety of that little hickey. And when the blood covers it, it'll pull that little hickey right back up into eternity. But when it pulls it back up into eternity, it'll pull you up not as an attribute, but an attribute in a human body. Amen. It'll pull you up after you've reached your full expression. You will know longer just be a thought in the mind of God but you'll be there before him and you'll worship him and you'll sing to him and you'll praise him you see he could have spoke us into existence and said let there be let there be and there we would have he could have told us now children sit down here let me tell you something I'm the great eternal in me, I have the ability to heal. But of course, 
Y'all can never get sick because you're eternal. In me is the ability to be Jehovah Jireh. I know you don't know what that means, but that means I can provide. In me is the ability to be El Shaddai. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah. Oh, and we say, oh, wonderful, wonderful, Papa. But of course, you all are perfect. But whenever the little loop is gathered back up into the circle of eternity, it won't be him telling us. It'll be millions, times millions of us gathering around his throne and saying, Papa, I was lost, but you found me. I was lost, but you saved me. I struggled in my humanity. I struggled with the things I received from my parents. I struggled with the, the grab bag of humanity. I struggled with so many things. And Lord, it seemed like there's times I'd never be able to make it. But I can stand here today and say, you are a mighty deliverer. And then another one will raise up and say, oh, Papa, I was so bound with this. You imagine the millions of saints that have lived down through time. And it won't be him telling us, but it will be us vindicating his testimony of what he is hallelujah you talking about praise and adoration going on for millions of years as we begin to excel and explore the glory of God as we extol it as David said as we begin to expound it from our being and he gets higher and higher and higher until the ascension of his great being goes into that realm of eternity and there we set chains forever and ever in this awesome presence glory to God I feel it right now this awesome presence of the mighty God Lord Jesus Jesus being the tabernacle that God was dwelling in here on earth body self prepared me and God dwelt in Jesus Christ and that made the Father and the Son united together now and become one. Now notice what was in Christ was the fullness of the Spirit, the entire fullness of God. God gave Christ the Spirit without measure, but He's given it to us by measure. Christ had all the measure, everything. He was Emmanuel. Get ready. But you and I our little cupfuls out of that seed. Here's my cup, Lord. Fill it up. Oh, my cup's bigger than yours, Brother Donnie. I don't even care about size. I'm just glad I got one. If mine's the size of a thimble, praise God. I'm just so glad I got one. Yours may be mine, might be one of the big old gigantic coffee cup things. You know, well, go to enjoy your coffee, brother. Enjoy your cups. However it is, mine come from the same place that yours come from. Mine come from the eternal, just like yours. Size has no relevance. Don't you understand what we're talking about? Size and bigger and better. And this preacher's better. And this singer's better. Don't you understand? We're still walking as men. We're still walking as men. Paul said they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. But when we go to comparing ourselves, what do we all compare to to him? nothing zero 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 nothing that's what we are but with him inside of us we're worth more than the entire universe to him 
Let me read this again and we'll stand together. But he's given to us by measure. Christ had all the measure, everything. He was Emmanuel. But you and I are little cupfuls of that seed. Now this is one of them quotes that I've looked up every, every statement where Brother Brandon mentioned seed through the years and there's literally tens of thousands of them. I found this the other day. I thought, where have you been, son? What have you been doing all this time? But it's just like God just opens it up and said, now look at it, boy. Oh, I love it when he does that. Notice this. I love the way he finishes this out. But when the spirit that's in us is of the same quality, not as much in quantity, but the same quality, because it's part of the same spirit. So Jesus, with the fullness of the Godhead in his body, and he got weary, had frustrations, headaches, pain, suffering, just like we had. But why didn't that deity stop him? Why, why didn't it prevent it from him? If he would have, he would have prevented you. You would have never been allowed to have another pain as a mortal. Don't you see he's using him as the example to show, look children, when you're born of me, it doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. May I just say, <laughs> him being born in the flesh was a prelude to us being born in the Spirit. If he had never come and been born in the flesh, we would still be keepers of the law to this day. So in order for me to be born of the Spirit of God, he had to be born of the flesh. Praise God. How many loves him today with all your heart? Can I read you one more quote here? Brother Ben said, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. The flesh part was man. The spirit was God. Jesus said, I can do nothing except my Father shows me first. So the flesh was man. I've got to be honest, friends. There's been a time in my life I made the flesh God. You've heard me say I was a Trinitarian, then I went from Trinitarian to being Jesus only, which is basically someone who makes the flesh God. I've been a long time in this journey of getting me straightened out. I, I figure I can go ahead and say it for all the rest of y'all, I'd say I ain't the only one. Amen. I'd say probably most of us here was messed up pretty bad. That's right. I ain't talking about you was out there in the world, I'm talking about after you got saved. I've been your pastor, some of y'all, for decades, and some of y'all still messed up. Let's just be honest and tell the truth. The more we see about the Word of God, the more we realize how wrong we have actually been about so many things. But it's time. It's time. The light is shining. Amen. Amen. God wants to tell you who you are. So it can help you to see you're that ten cow bride. Let's, let's jump over here and read this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6, or a couple of verses, if you don't mind. Let me just give you a little prelude of Wednesday night. 
But one in a certain place testified saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things, all things, in subjection under his feet. For in that he put in subjection, all in subjection under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Ah. But notice these next four words in verse 9. But we see Jesus. Praise God. The restoring of your Godship. God put everything under man. Everything. Don't you see Paul is quoting that word like it's still current. Amen. But we was in a dilemma. God gave that. That word is eternal. It can never be retracted. But how can God ever bring man back to that place? We see Jesus. <laughs> he didn't say we see the church. We see a guitar. We see a preacher. We see Jesus. Here's the breach. But we see Jesus. Who was made a little lower than the angels. For the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor. That he. Listen how he did it. By the grace of God. You imagine Jesus. Needing grace. To die for you. That's what your Bible says. He. By the grace. Of God. Let me tell you how I'm going to make it. Same way. Not by my praying. Not by my preaching. Not by my fasting. By the grace of God. The grace of God helped him to die for me. The grace of God's going to help me to accept it. The grace of God's going to drive back tradition so I can see him. When I can see him, I believe it'll lead to seeing me. If we don't see him right, we'll never see ourselves right. Let me go. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. But we see Jesus. I was lost. Yes, lost as lost could be. Well, I never run around like, like y'all did and drank and smoked and all that sort of thing. But I still lost. But I saw Jesus. At that time, I thought he was one of three. And they took me down to the creek, broke the ice to baptize me. The little 12-year-old boy. And they laid me down in that cold water. And those titles. And you've heard me say it before. I'd prayed to the Father for a while. And I didn't want Jesus to be hurt or left out. So I prayed to Jesus for a while. And I didn't want the Holy Ghost to be left out, so I'd pray to the Holy Ghost. And then I'd, can you imagine trying to keep equal time praying to three beings? And maybe some of you laugh at that and think, that's crazy. Well, you know, you're right. It is crazy. But I was as sincere then as I am today. 
I was as sincere then as I am today, but I was sincerely wrong. So truth has not taken away my sincerity. Amen. It took me years to sort through it. Then I went to a tent meeting and I heard the preacher talking about being baptized in Jesus' name. Carol's uncle tried to tell me about being baptized in the name of Jesus. Take me to Acts 2.38. I said, well, what about Matthew 28.19? Well, he really didn't have an understanding of it either because he he just kind of, well, well, you know. And I said, I'd rather take what Jesus said and what Peter said. Real smart. How could Peter and Jesus not be saying the same thing? My quest for the Godhead has been ongoing for most of my life. Give my heart to him whenever I was 12. We'll be 64 in July, so I don't take much of a mathematician to try to figure out how long I've been looking for it. How long? I thought I found it. as a little boy. Then I got rebaptized. Then I started preaching as a kid, 18. And I preached the Jesus-only doctrine. I thought, thought I had it right. I thought, thought I knowed him. I thought I had him. But all the time down in me, I thought there's got to be more. There's got to be more to God. Praise God. Aren't you glad He called you from your church pew or your bar stool, whichever it was, and started dealing with your life? What about your history and your life? How many decades many of y'all been searching for Him? My search is still ongoing for my understanding to get more clear, to re- remove the fog away by tradition so whenever I read in the word I don't read two I don't read three I just read one with many attributes when I look into the word and I hear preachers preach about Pharaoh I don't identify myself with that whenever I hear them preach about Judas I don't identify with that but when they talk about that little woman at the well I'm ready to cut a spell because that's me when you're talking about it when you're talking about the elect, hallelujah. When you're talking about those, oh, you got to believe, my goodness, I, I, I'm not like that, brother. I'm not Pharaoh. I am not Judas. That's not who I am. That does not describe my soul. Praise God. Did you love that last night? Brother Darrell said he found one by a well, one up in a tree. He found some of you in a hog lot, some of you on a bar stool, some of you in some spiritual prostitute called a Methodist or a Baptist. He's found them all over the world and sanctifies them and gets in them and said, let me have your mouth. Let me have your mouth and your gift. I gave you that gift. Let me use that mouth and I'll anoint it. And when you sing, people's shackles will fall off. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray together again. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. How many would like to be remembered today? You want to be that, friends? You want to be that surrendered tabernacle? You see, the purpose of the Lord Jesus' coming was not only to produce blood. If that was it, He could have come and left in one day's time. It was to live a life of submission. First years without the Holy Ghost, and then three and a half with it. This is His purpose. He's going to have a church of 2,000 years that He wants to teach them how to submit. Their thinking, their theology, their tradition, 
what mama said, what daddy said. Praise God. Oh, great Jehovah. I'm so glad that we can see you today in your greatness. Lord, I know that even some that have struggled with me preaching on this, and I know they struggle because they've talked to me about it. Lord, some of them, they felt like I was trying to take something away from Jesus. But Lord, it wasn't me trying to take anything from you. I'm only trying to show them what you willingly gave up. And it's tradition that wants to keep us from seeing how low you stooped. Lord Jesus, the Bible tells us you were tempted in all points as we are. Yet we know they didn't have marijuana as far as we know in that day or heroin or uh, cigarettes. Uh, They didn't have many of the same temptations and sin and so on. But since it all comes in the same way through desire and passion. Lord Jesus, you stooped lower because we were born mortal, contaminated flesh. But you stooped lower than we will ever have to because of where you come from. And it wasn't that you never existed before and all of a sudden you came into existence and then you were, you were given power and you were given life and, and because of this obedience, uh, uh, your daddy gave you something in reward. No, that's not who you were. You were the Father. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You were the omnipotent one. The mighty one that angels bowed down before. And this attribute of humanity was one that projected out of your eternal being. Glory to God. You wanted a human body and therefore you must take a human name. And you took the human name, Jesus, or Yeshua. Hallelujah. You took a human nature, human hair color, human eye color, human color of skin. Praise God. Now that we look at this stepping down through kenosis, it does not take away from you at all in our eyes. It makes you greater and greater and greater. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we worship you today, Father. Hallelujah. Then, Lord God, if there's a person here today who has not surrendered their body to be the tabernacle of the living God, may in this very moment, may your presence move on every heart. If there's one, Lord Jesus, Maybe they've believed you as Savior. They've accepted the work of sanctification. But the King has never took up the resident throne in their soul. After the preaching of the Word, may the Holy Ghost fall, Lord God, not only in the invisible audience, but those that are out streaming today. Lord Jesus, for many, no doubt this has already happened. But they're just weary. Lord, they're down. They're just going through a lot of stuff they just feel like they need a refreshing a refilling of the Holy Ghost may you come by this way today Lord God I'm not ashamed to say it Lord I believe my soul is one of those attributes 
As your prophet said it in things that are to be a soul of God that was in God before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. One day that soul caught the breath of life as Jehovah Eagle come by and breathed life. Quickened it. My battle began, Lord, of bringing this tabernacle and keeping it subject. Oh, hallelujah. You don't keep me from sorrow. You don't keep me from pain. Lord Jesus, you don't keep us from heartache and trouble. But you keep us through pain. You keep us through heartache. This is the way your ministry was established on earth. That you were kept not free from pain. But kept through pain. Kept through headaches. Kept through misunderstandings, misgivings. Keep me through it, Lord Jesus. Forgive me, I complain, Lord. I'm sorry, Father. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Glory be to God. Can we just worship him, saints? Can you imagine that great, almighty, the eternal, which was there in the circle of eternity, and no atoms, no molecules of light, nothing. He's right here to, today in this place, right here in this very hour of darkness. His presence is not only in this building, but a saturated seal upon many of your souls today. Glory to God, us Gentiles is not even allowed to come into His presence. But we saw Jesus one day. We were lost and we were on the other side of the chasm. We were without hope. But how can I say today I'm saved? I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus. And I'm on my way back to my kingdom being restored. Praise God, one day the earth. Oh my, she swallowed up the blood of many a boy. She's drinking the blood of many a man, a woman, a child that was killed. But one day the earth will experience her last drop of blood when the earth sees Jesus. Hallelujah. And Jesus will revert the earth back to her original state. Glory to God. But we see Jesus. Oh, Lord God, Adonai, I bless your name today, Lord Jesus. I worship you, Lord God, with all of my soul. I raise my hands, I lift my voice. I say how great you are. How wonderful. Forgive us, Lord, for ever thinking we're anything at all. You're the mighty one. You're the great one. You're the redeemer. But Lord, we're so glad that you incorporated us in that scripture there of Isaiah of the redeemed. So it is the redeemer and the redeemed. Praise God. We worship you, Jesus. Oh, Lord God. I bless your name, Lord. Oh, Jesus, I exalt you this morning, Father. I worship you. Help me, saints. Let's just worship him. Let's just take a few minutes before we go for our lunch. To think the great eternal has graced us today with his presence. Praise God. Hopefully opened our understandings just a little bit more that we can see who he is.
and who we are. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. The more I hear about you, the more I seek you, the more I find you. Lord God, the more I find you, it just creates a greater hunger in me. The more I taste, the more I want. The more I drink, and the more it saturates my soul, the more I want of you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The more I seek you, Go ahead. 
seek you.
so 